tornadoes in Europe. Europe collectively sees about 700, with the UK getting around 35 in a typical year. Planning ahead for winter. 40% of us in the survey have been caught out at some stage by severe winter weather. And counting down to COP. The first was held in 1995. It's been hosted in 19 countries, including Japan, Argentina, India and Peru. It's Friday the 24th of September and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and this is Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather headlines. The Italian island of Pantelleria was recently hit by a devastating tornado, which caused considerable destruction and tragically led to the deaths of two people. While the US tends to grab tornado headlines, the fact is Europe experiences a considerable number of tornadoes every year. Here's senior meteorologist Helen Roberts. I think most people's minds, as you mentioned, Claire, turn to the US when we think about tornadoes. And they certainly do see plenty of them with around 1,200 each year. And that's more than any other country. Canada comes in second place, but just 100 per year there. And Europe collectively sees about 700, with the UK getting around 35 in a typical year. And it may surprise people, but that makes the UK one of the most tornadic countries in the world per square kilometre. And if you think about it, Europe's possibly around the same size as Canada. So getting 700 a year is a lot. It certainly is. Yeah, Europe does see its fair share and they they tend to be particularly prevalent at certain times of the year across different parts of Europe. So, for example, the Netherlands see an awful lot per square kilometre, partly because they're so flat um, and also have the, the warm seas nearby. And also the Adriatic is another area that sees a, a large number of tornadoes and water spouts as well. Does the UK have its own tornado alley? Is there certain parts which sees more than others? Yeah, absolutely. So tornadoes can occur anywhere across the UK, but most tornado reports are from England and there are some clustering. So places like Bristol, southeast and northwest England, the West Midlands and the south coast of Wales. But this might be partly due to population bias as well. But certainly tornadoes are rarer in Northern Ireland and Scotland. Let's talk about the intensity of tornadoes. And there's a particular scale that we use regarding how powerful they are. Absolutely. So tornado intensity is generally measured on what's called the enhanced Fujita scale. And this is based on post-tornadic verification. So that's people who go out after the tornado has occurred and look at the damage the tornado has uh, resulted in. And the scale goes from zero to five, five being the strongest with winds in excess of 200 miles per hour and what's termed as incredible damage. So these are the sorts of tornadoes that we associate with Tornado Alley in the state. So why do people go out afterwards and analyse the destruction of a tornado before giving it its own category? Well, the thing with tornadoes is they're very small in terms of their scale. So sometimes people think of hurricanes as an equivalent, but hurricanes and tropical storms are many, many scales bigger um, than a tornado, which can be very, very small. And it's really difficult, therefore, to measure the wind speeds directly. So that's why people go out afterwards and assess how strong the winds are likely to have been based on the impact of the storm. 
So we talk about Tornado Alley and there have been some awful situations, extreme weather events where they've devastated a whole area, but perhaps not the deadliest tornado we've ever seen. That's right. Bangladesh is one of the areas of the world that do see an awful lot of significant tornadoes, really, really very strong ones. And in fact, the deadliest tornado, uh, as assessed by the World Meteorological Organization, occurred in Bangladesh in 1989. So this storm carved a path a mile wide, 10 miles long, and it destroyed pretty much everything in its path. An estimated 1,300 people were killed, an additional 1,200 were injured. But back to the UK, one of the most significant tornadoes in recent memory is the Birmingham tornado of 2005, which hit the area of Moseley. And one of the first people on the scene was an ambulance technician who said it was really amazing that no one was killed. And according to him, it was a scene of complete devastation. Senior Meteorologist Helen Roberts. While not on the scale of tornadoes, nearly 40% of people living in Britain have been adversely affected by severe winter weather, according to the latest research conducted by the Met Office. In a survey of 2,000 people, over a third said they had been caught out due to the lack of preparation, with weather-related problems ranging from travel disruption to broken boilers. To try to get more of us better prepared for the coming winter, the Met Office has launched the Weather Ready campaign. To find out more, I spoke to Head of Civil Contingencies, Will Lang. Will, an important survey has just been conducted by the Met Office. First of all, what was the survey and what did it conclude? Well, this is part of our Weather Ready campaign, which is all about getting ready for winter. And we did a survey of over 2,000 people all the way across the UK. And what that revealed is that a large proportion of us, so that's 40% of us in the survey, have been caught out at some stage by severe winter weather. That might be a number of things. That might be you were late for work. It might be that you had to change your travel plans. Maybe in the home you were affected by power cuts or even flooding. Um, Another interesting finding from the survey, Claire, is that of that 40%, Quite a large proportion, so more than a third, put it down to a lack of preparation. So again, that comes back to what the Weather Ready campaign is really all about, preparing for winter. So when you say preparing for winter, what are your top tips when it comes to, you know, winter is coming, as they say, and it's only around the corner. And in fact, we've had some quite horrible weather through the summer months as well. Flash flooding, high heat. Obviously, winter comes with its own elements. Yeah, that's right. We often need a reminder how winter weather can be different from summer weather and can be severe in different ways. And what we do is give this little prod set of gentle reminders and the simple steps you can take to look after yourself, look after each other, look after your property, uh, your car, etc. All of the detailed advice is on the Met Office website. So if you go there and look for weather ready, but I'll give you a few of the top tips. Um, Firstly, in the home, you can check your heating system. It might be that your boiler needs a bit of a service. It's worth checking your pipes to make sure that they're in good working order and well insulated. You might consider having a bit of a grab bag of emergency supplies in case you have a power cut or if you're unlucky enough to be affected by a flood. So you might have a torch, a spare charger, battery charger for your phone, for example, but a few few other odds and ends uh, should that happen to you. 
Um, outside of the home, you, you should be thinking about weatherproofing your garden. So at some stage over the course of the autumn and winter, it will be windy at some point. So you might want to think about where you can stow your garden furniture, check if your fences are OK, um, and thinking about tying down children to trampolines, for example. And then you might be out and about. So think about your travel plans, alternative routes uh, should bad weather arrive. And most importantly, checking your car. Are the tyres working OK? Have you got enough screen wash? Again, a winter car kit, just something that you can keep in your car in case you're unlucky enough to get stuck. So those kind of things uh, we're trying to highlight through this campaign. Obviously, some people perhaps are more vulnerable than others. Yeah, so one of the things that we're again highlighting in the in the Weather Ready campaign is, is thinking of others. And I think, you know, we've all developed a, probably a bit more of a community spirit, I think, through what we've all been through in the last 18 months or so. And if we can apply that to the weather as well. So ahead of severe weather, while things are quieter, perhaps thinking of your neighbours, the more vulnerable ones, the elderly, for example, getting in touch with them and making sure that they are weather ready too. And you can go through the checklist and make sure that their heating is OK and their garden, etc. So same thing applies to them. And that's what we're trying to encourage. And more details on our website. The Lang, thank you very much. Now with the weather outlook for the next few days, here's Aidan McGiven. It has been a remarkably warm September so far and by the end of the month it looks likely to be one of the warmest on record and that theme continues this weekend. Warm for the time of year but because this warmth is coming in from the Atlantic it comes with a lot of cloud as well. In fact a grey and gloomy start to the day on Saturday, a lot of low cloud, mist and fog particularly around western coasts and hills. As the day goes on, we'll see that low cloud continue in the west and the south, and there'll even be a few spots of rain and drizzle, particularly over western hills. But a lot of dry weather elsewhere, and skies will brighten in the east. Eastern Scotland and eastern England, because of the warmth, will benefit from any sunny spells, and we'll see temperatures reach 22 or 23 Celsius. Further west, mild, but perhaps not feeling quite so pleasant under that thick low cloud. Sunday looks a little brighter in many places. In fact, the cloud is likely to break up a bit more in the west. It will also be a warmer day and in the east, as temperatures climb, there is the chance of a few showers appearing during the afternoon, perhaps even the odd heavy thundery downpour. But there's some uncertainty about this aspect of the forecast. It all depends on the timing of a plume of humid air from the south and also the timing of a breakdown in the weather from the west later on because it's in Northern Ireland and Western Scotland where the cloud will thicken once again later Sunday and we'll see some heavy rain arrive along with some strengthening winds and that wet and windy weather will sweep across the country from the west overnight clearing through during Monday allowing the weather to change to much cooler but also more mixed conditions from the Atlantic for the start of next week. Thanks Aidan. This week, many in the USA have been talking climate change. On Wednesday evening, seven popular TV talk shows focused their conversations on this topic. It was called Climate Night, where each produced their own original content focusing on climate issues. The programmes included The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel Live and The Late Late Show with James Corden, all in support of New York Climate Week, which has been happening this week. So what happens at New York Climate Week? I asked Dr. Doug McNeil, climate scientist and host of the Met Office Mostly Climate podcast. The event is hosted by the Climate Group in conjunction with the UN, the COP26 presidency and the City of New York. 
Is this an annual event? Every autumn since 2009, and it always features a series of speeches, awards, presentations and protests, of course, that coincide roughly with the meeting of the United Nations General Assembly. So what is the basis for this week? It provides a platform for showcasing leading climate action and exploring how we can accelerate action to tackle the climate crisis. This year, the events programme is in a variety of formats. They're virtual, in-person and hybrid to ensure that everyone can engage with the week, no matter where you are. So what are people talking about this week? This year, the events programme is organised into 10 themes uh, from food, finance, industry to energy and transport, environmental justice and all the way to sustainable living. The future of natural systems, oceans, forests, coasts, it goes on. There's a focus on fulfilling and increasing commitments made by businesses and governments and organisations to deliver the promise of the Paris Agreement. Dr Doug McNeil. New York Climate Week is very much a precursor to the COP26 climate conference happening in Glasgow in just a few weeks' time. So what exactly is COP? Here with a short bluffer's guide, Dr Rosie Oakes. COP26 is happening this autumn in Glasgow. COP, or COP, stands for Conference of the Parties. But who are these parties? These are nations that are adhering to a treaty known as the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC. The UNFCCC was established back in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro. People came together to talk about combating human interference with the climate system. They wanted to understand how they could stabilise greenhouse gas concentrations. The first conference of the parties was held in 1995 in Berlin, Germany. And since then, it's been hosted in 19 countries, including Japan, Argentina, India and Peru. Some countries have hosted it multiple times. Morocco has hosted twice, Poland three times and Germany five times. This year's conference is going to be held in Glasgow in the UK. This was meant to happen last year, but it was postponed because of Covid. It's going to run from the 31st of October till the 12th of November. And we'll see a diverse group of people from all over the world, including government representatives and scientists, come together to talk about climate change. The goals of this year's COP26 include securing global net zero by the middle of the century. And countries are being asked to set ambitious targets to curb their emissions by 2030. There's also a call for developed nations to provide at least $100 billion worth of climate finance to developing countries every year to help them adapt and mitigate for future changes. There's also an action to help adapt and protect communities and natural habitats. And this means protecting and restoring ecosystems and building resilient infrastructure. Recent scientific advances and the extreme weather events that we've seen globally this year have added even more urgency to the climate debate and hopefully will mean that the conversations that are held at COP26 will be productive and ambitious. Dr Rosie Oakes. And we'll have more on the ins and outs of COP26 in future episodes. You can also learn about COP by visiting our Twitter channel, hashtag MetOfficeCop26. Just before we go, here's Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. The UK weather extremes observed between Monday the 13th of September and Sunday the 19th of September are as follows. The highest temperature of the week 
was 25.3 Celsius at RAF Northolt in Greater London on Saturday. The lowest recorded temperature was 1.7 Celsius at Reedsdale Camp in Northumbria in the early hours of Monday morning. Some exceptionally high rainfall was recorded in eastern England last week. 51.6 millimetres was measured on Tuesday at our weather station at the National Institute of Agricultural Botany near Cambridge. In a typical September, 60 millimetres will be expected to fall here over the whole month. The largest sunshine hour totals were recorded on the west coasts of England and Wales. 10.6 hours was measured at Aberporth in southwest Wales on Tuesday, and the same amount was recorded at Morecambe in Lancashire on Wednesday. Thanks, Martin. That's it for WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Editor is Adrian Holloway. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.